there and welcome to Wednesday Weekly Wisdom, my new podcast based on my very popular Instagram series where I get to interview guests from all walks of life where they share their stories of success. We talk about everything and anything. I'm so excited that you are listening. Follow me on Spotify and follow me on Instagram at official Ayushokala. See you there. Today I'm joined by Sam who I'm going to be adding to the live now. Now, I think many of you will recognize Sam as my fellow presenter on Get Set Galactic. Hi Sam. Hello. <laughs> Long time no see. Hi, nice to see you again. Thanks for joining Wednesday Weekly Wisdom. Oh, I can't hear Sam. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Okay. Yes, that's perfect. I can hear you now. Perfect. How are you? Thank you for having me. Good. So excited to have you here. We can talk about all things Get Set Galactic, but of obviously course. your really cool career trying to cure cancer, coming yep. up with cancer treatment. I mean, that is incredible. So I, I think we want I... to talk about Okay, yeah, we can start with the fun stuff and see where we go from there. <laughs> what should we start with? I'm so excited. You've got to tell me. What are you thinking? Where do you want to start? What are you feeling like? Okay, so one of my things, well, it might be helpful if I, I explain who I am for people who haven't been uh, people over the age of eight. Who is you are, Sam? You're on Get Set Collective. And and yeah, then we can we can discuss all things um, I, I'm wise and and business and science probably because that's, that's probably what I know most about. Um, but yeah, what 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 do you want me to what do you want me to do? <laughs> Hi, Zab. Why don't you tell us about your journey? Because so far, people know that you're on Get Set Galactic and you're a scientist. So how did you come about to go on this pathway to first starting off as a fish scientist? Tell us about that, Sam. Cool. Yeah, so, so I, just, I think science is something that, that pathways and journeys are a good way to talk about it because inevitably you don't end up where you, where you think you will. So when I was young, I wanted to be a doctor. Um, because I wanted to help people and because one of my friend's dads had a nice car and he was a doctor. So, so I thought that when I was about nine years old, that was about as cool as it could get. Um, and then uh, I, I ended up trying to get some work experience as a doctor and kind of through that process, I realised that maybe it wasn't for me. But um, I'd always loved science. and I was, I was really lucky growing up because my, my granddad and my grandma, who I was very, very close to when I was growing up, used to, you know, take me out collecting animals, like looking at whatever's on the ground so, and doing experiments, experiments at home. So, well, if I'm not going to do medicine, I might as well do something similar to that. Um, and so I ended up falling into doing a degree in biology uh, because I was re- at the time really obsessed with Yellowstone National Park. They'd done this kind of rewilding project. They'd reintroduced wolves. I thought that just seemed really cool. Um, and but, but through the process of, of being at university and trying to I guess, learn to do science. Um, I very quickly realised that maybe that wasn't the bucket of science I should do. I ended up then taking a year out working in TV and factual entertainment production. Absolutely loved it. And that kind of made me realise, well, what I wanted to do was I didn't necessarily want to do that kind of science. I wanted to talk about science uh, and science definitely had to be involved in some way. So I went back to university. I became a developmental geneticist. Um, which means that I studied how genes make us who we are. So um, how during the process of kind of going from being a single cell into a, a big multicellular organism like us, what defines mm-hmm. who you are, what shapes you, your limbs and your skull and all different animals as well. Um, and then, as you said, I, I studied that particularly in fish because uh, fish are a really interesting case study in this because they're, they're really, really diverse. So when you look at fish, um, they might all just look like fish to normal people, but when fish scientists look at fish, 
uh, and as you look at their skulls in particular, they have really, really diverse skull shapes. Um, and what those skull shapes represent is also kind of what the other skull shapes of other animals, so land animals with bones, uh, have. So you can study all animals with bones by just looking at fish. So that's what I ended up doing. Um, and I did that for a year at the University of Cambridge, and it was, it was wonderful. I, I've, I've always loved fish. Uh, I've been very lucky to have my wife put up with taking me to lots and lots of aquariums. Um, but, but this love of fish, it turns out, there's not many jobs in fish. Um, surprisingly, there's not many jobs in fish, but what there are lots of jobs in is, is healthcare. Um, and uh, the skills that you learn through developmental genetics in particular oh. are really applicable to, to healthcare and trying to cure disease because obviously this process of kind of genes taking you from being a single cell to lots of different cells, um, when that goes wrong, yeah. that's often responsible for disease. So there was a lot of uh, crossover there. And I think I was fortunate enough that the skills I developed by doing fish science uh, were also applicable to doing cancer research. So that's where I find myself. And then a year ago, uh, I found myself in Glasgow for a month with you talking about science, which, as I said, was what I'd kind of always wanted to do anyway. That's so cool. You have to tell us more about the jump, because you said that fish science and working on the understanding of the genes that make us who we are, it's great for coming up with cancer treatments. Can you tell us a bit more about the science there? It'd be good to understand that. Bit. That's of course, so cool. of course. Of course. So, um, yeah, as, as I said, uh, kind of the, the crux of developmental biology or, or the purpose of it, developmental genetics, developmental biology, yeah, is, is about trying to understand how cells and animals develop um, through time. And when that process goes wrong, uh, you often end up with kind of developmental diseases. So, for example, um, there's a fairly small group of genes that are involved in the formation of hands and, and limbs. Uh, when those go wrong, you can end up with too many fingers or too few fingers or so on. Um, but, but at the other end of this, uh, a lot of that whole process in order to make sure that animals look and, and work as they're meant to is very, very tightly regulated um, by these genes. And when those regulatory processes go wrong, that's when you end up with things like cancers, because obviously you want your cells to grow, but you want them to grow in a specific way and, and in a limited specific way. In, in situations where they grow too much or in mm -hmm. the wrong place, you can end up with uh, tumours, so which are effectively just bundles of cells growing in the, in the wrong place at the wrong time in the wrong way. Um, so so that those two fields are then kind of overlap, but specifically what I do is, is I guess a few steps removed from that. So obviously there's still that domain knowledge there um, from, from genetics, but uh, what I, I actually do is I try to, um, I, I look at lots and lots of data, I look at, uh, what causes lots of different people's cancers and then by using huge amounts of data and uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence mm. which I'm sure people know a fair amount about as a result of chat GPT and, and everything else but effectively build mathematical models to try and uh, predict treatments that will be able to help all of these different people uh, who are suffering from I guess uh, development that's gone wrong in lots of different ways but in, in an ideal world we'd like to kind of group those together so you say well there's a million ways things can go wrong but what if we can identify people who have their, this uh, this process has gone wrong for in, in the same way and then we can find a treatment for those particular people so that's that's kind of what I do in, in a very brief uh, that's, very, so cool. very that's like some major level pattern spotting exactly. looking at data grouping it together and then coming up with treatment plans for that group that you found that have the same i guess core deviation in their cell growth that's so cool oh, which, and that, that's exactly it so what what you know i do now in particular 
is focus on what are known as biomarkers. So this might be that you have a specific genetic mutation or you have a different kind of protein to someone else inside your cells or, um, you know, without getting too complicated, maybe your genes are regulated in different ways. Um, and, and what we do is we, we look at this kind of from a big far out scale and we try to find these, these quirks and, and these unique, I guess, traits that are shared within oh. a population uh, in order yeah. to say, yeah, like you have this, you have colorectal cancer. So, so you have cancer in your uh, bowel, for example. Um, but there's a million kinds of bowel cancer. Well, what if we can group uh, all of those people, uh, or if you, we can group some of those people together and then find a treatment that works specifically for them. Um, and what this is predicated on is a kind of an interesting fact. Uh, and that's that, um, so well over 90% of, of clinical trials fail. So in the process of developing 90%. drugs- 90%? Uh, exactly. You say 90% of clinical trials exactly. fail? A, a huge oh, number. So, so these, you know, people have spent five years developing a chemical that might yeah. make someone less sick. Uh, and, and then they put it into clinical trials and you know, they've, they've tested it uh, in the lab and they've tested it on cells and maybe they've tested it on mice. Um, mm. And then they, they put it in people and it just doesn't work. And it's not that it's necessarily too dangerous. Um, it might just be that it just, it just isn't effective enough. So there's not, it's not worth putting more money into. But what it, what it kind of turns out is that while 90% of them fail, actually in those cases, what if uh, the drug was effective in 5% of people? What if the drug was yeah. effective in 10% of people? Um, well, it's not effective enough to give it to everyone. <clears throat> you know, like if, if your grandma's unwell uh, and you, you give it to her and there's only a 10% chance that it's going to work for her, it's, it's not a useful drug. But what if actually within those 10% of people, those 5% of people, there's, there's a, yeah. a trait that's shared, um, which means that, uh, you know, the drug has a 100% hit rate, as long as you can identify what makes what people the common trait 10% is. Exactly, exactly. So, so that, that's really the focus now. And that's, you know, when you're talking about pattern spotting, so like I could look at a million data points and I wouldn't see anything. But the beauty of machine learning, and, and while AI is, is scary, what its real purpose is, is, is just pattern spotting. It's trying to understand patterns that uh, are at such a small, minute scale that we as humans can't understand them, but that you can fit a, a million different mathematical numbers together um, yeah. and, and, and in the right order. And from that, you yeah, can yeah. see the pattern and you can find that 10% of people and you can get the drugs that work to them. And that's, yeah. Oh, sure. I get very so basically, you're using the efficacy of these clinical trials by using machine learning to pattern mm -hmm. spot for that 10% and the common traits that make your exactly. medication that you've developed or treatment plan work for that disease. Exactly. That's literally it. And it sounds very simple when you say it. <laughs> it sounds really cool. Yeah. So I guess with the rise of AI, you must be on board with that because you've been using this way before it's become like... Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. sorry. You've been using it way before it was been popular in media. So you've been using machine learning for a while. So what are the things you've learned? Tell us like all your developments in that space. So, so, so yeah, I, I think it's. Um, I, I, I guess I've I've been using machine learning since before machine learning was scary, which admittedly was not that long ago. <laughs> um, it's 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 been really interesting. So I I think something that I I think. And actually, I, I'm going to briefly step out and then step back in. I, I think one of the things, mm -hmm. uh, one of the issues around AI is, is the way that we talk about it. And it's a bit okay. like things like vaccines uh, or climate change. It's actually a, a lot of people involved in the conversation. When obviously there was the kind of the big chat GPT boom, everyone became an AI expert. Um, you end up with a lot of people who maybe 
haven't researched as much as they should have done, like people on Twitter, and they, and, but they have an audience and they start talking about something they don't understand, which then kind of innately makes it more scary. Um, because, yeah. you know, if I say artificial intelligence to you, well, what does that mean? Is that uh, Terminator or is that uh, actually kind of the most basic AI, which is something called, I say AI, machine learning, called a linear regression, which is where you have lots oh. of points and you just try to fit a single line through it. A bit like when you're at school doing science, you draw a line of best fit. That is, yeah. in a way, in a way, that's machine learning. So um, I, I think I, I've, I've been increasingly frustrated by the panic around it. Um, but as I said, it's it's really exciting. I think it's it's good to focus on uh, the positives. So what are the positives of AI? Well, in the case of medicine, it means that we can personalize medicine to people. And we can mm. effectively take drugs that maybe aren't effective across the population, as yeah. I've said, uh, get them into the people it works for. Uh, in the case of transport, for example, people with disabilities, uh, we can um, hopefully one day have self-driving cars. We can have transport that's usable for people who yeah. can't drive and have lost their independence as a result of that. Um, we, uh, I've, I, I'm going to avoid going into to too many examples, but um, uh, other examples, Siri, you know, we, we've got personal, personal helpers on our phones who you can ask yeah. any question to and they can dig through a huge amount of information and get you the perfect answer. And, and all of this has, has made and will continue to make our lives better. Um, effectively, what it comes down to is AI, machine learning, is, is just really complicated maths. And it's like you said, it's about trying to find patterns mm. in the noise of everyday life. So um, I found it really exciting. One of the kind of machine learning projects I, I worked on was trying to turn chemicals into uh, numbers that we can then try and discover new drugs with. Really complicated. But I don't see that being dangerous. And I, things like ChatGPT. Obviously, people go, oh, what's the next step? Well, what is ChatGPT? Uh, effectively, how it works is you take a sentence and then you guess what the next word in that sequence of words that makes up the sentence is. Um, it's AI is a long way off, I think, what a lot of people think it is. It, it is nowhere near as advanced as, as we think it is. Things like artificial general intelligence, which is terrifying, is a long way down the line. Um, it's something we need to regulate. I think that mm. it's really important that that we don't just allow big companies to be the only people who can actually use it. It's something that should be yeah. democratized, something that people should be helped to understand, but um, something that is exciting and, uh, and shouldn't be scary, but we need to be better at talking about it. I appreciate it once again, very, very waffly answer there, but um, I, I hope, yeah, I hope I answered your, your question really, which is like, what, what's well, it really answered like? the question. And also, I think for anyone like worried or concerned, that really gives a really good explanation of what it is, yeah. the broad range of its use, and actually just referring to it in the most simple ways is math yeah. and another way of understanding and communicating, because math is communication in some ways. So that's really helpful. Thanks, mm. Sam. So you told, you told us at the very start of this conversation that actually one of the reasons that you got really excited to work in communication as science is your year um, before your first degree and then going on to do further education in Cambridge and becoming scientist um so what did you work on in that year and why was it so pivotal in like making you decide this is what i want to do so i i was i was really lucky as i said that i basically i went university is not for me um what am i going to do well a, an opportunity to do an internship in tv production just kind of fell into my lap and that was at a company called Walter wall media uh, and they uh make amongst other things who do you think you are child genius um and long lost family and, and while I was uh, interning there, I got to work on uh, two of those shows, uh, Long Lost Family, which was great fun, and Child Genius, mm -hmm. which 
I think yeah. it was just an exceptional TV format. Um, or at the time, I thought it was an exceptional TV format. I thought it was um, a great but, but, but show. Was, it was brilliant. And, and I got to work in casting, which meant that you got to see the kids and, and go through that process with them, which was really awesome. Um, and I just, through that, I thought, like, I love science. But the reality yeah. is me sitting here talking about AI very, very poorly. It's not going to convince people to go into science, but explosive, touchy-feely TV is because that's what got me into science. You know, watching things like Richard Hammond's Blast Lab or Brainiac uh, or Mythbusters or I think it's Bango's The Theory, like these, these what were really big TV shows kind of just, they made science cool. They made science accessible and something that maybe I'd, I'd consider. Um, so yeah, I worked there uh, and then I uh, interned at a, a great little indie production company that worked with kind of BBC Three. Um, so we did, yeah, some like basically just digital first content. And, and that's where I really, I basically took that love of, of trying to communicate things in, a, in an interesting way and actually learned, I guess, the mechanics of it. So I learned to edit and I learned to uh, cast and I, I had the opportunity to watch other people like develop ideas. And I feel like I learned a lot from that. And through that, process just fell in love with um video as a medium um which meant that then you know i was interested in science but what if i just start just making silly youtube videos about it so that's that's exactly what i did um and yeah through that year i, I met so many really interesting people i learned so many amazing skills but but i think most importantly i learned that just if you just ask people some of them might say yes to you some of them might be daft enough to go yeah you know, you, you, can, you can do this thing. You're unqualified, but we'll give it a go if you're willing to do it for free. Um, so, yeah, that, that was, I think, just a really eye-opening year because I realised that, like, this is something that works to get people into science is engaging content. And that actually anyone, myself included, can make it. Um, and if you want help along the way, you just have to drop someone an email and just hope for the best. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it was really eye-opening and, and I think really solidified that this was something I wanted to do and maybe was something that I might be able to do, which I think is always a nice thing. Yeah, that's amazing. So that year basically transformed things. You're like, I'm going to be a science presenter and get that galactic. And, and then some people were daft enough to find me online and let me talk to children about science. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know how, how you found found that process obviously you'd already done kind of a bit of tv here and there uh but for me it just kind of fell out i've been making content online but it just kind of fell out the blue and was amazing just the most wonderful experience but i, I don't know how you found how, how you were found i think is the yeah how i was found for you as well yeah or like you, you know, oh. you know we, we can talk about my experience but how how, how was the how you're interviewing me the format stuff, the format. <laughs> um, I was already doing BBC Reels and BBC Bite Sides, and Carrie'd seen my stuff on that, so she reached out to me in the very early days. Yeah. So um, I was there the early days to film the pilot, and then waited till it was commissioned, and then onboarded. But yeah, so I've been there. Yeah. From the OG. <laughs> been there exactly. You're you're an expert. Um, whereas yeah, I you know, like, yeah. I think I figured out like from the time I've heard about it to actually it being out in the world. There's nearly two and a half years for me. Quite a long time. Whereas <laughs> very, very different for me in that I'd uh, obviously yeah I, I'd been making content and that that was all available online in various different places. And then yeah, likewise, I think Jane Terry found it um, and auditioned, auditioned. Again. Although actually, it's a it was a very you know stressful experience. And I I got a message from Jane. I was checking on Twitter got this thing in, in my message request do you want to audition for this show 
I was like, yeah, of course. And then I realized the time stamp, she sent it three weeks before, but I just hadn't oh. noticed it, which gave me about 24 hours to get an audition tape in. Um, and yeah, then uh, I guess got lucky enough that, that they gave me the opportunity to come and work with, with you and James, which was lovely. We're obviously not lucky because you're clearly awesome. So it's great. So now get sets in the belt. What's next for Sam? So I've got a few, a few things I think uh, that I'm kicking the can down the road on. Uh, one thing that I've, I've loved working on recently is on Instagram. I've been making kind of content with my dog Stitch, who we got uh, last yes, year. I um, love Stitch content. Which is which has just been really lovely, and I, I think I posted something yesterday about it. But basically, it's been a great opportunity to to reconnect with nature. I I I know, I know you walk very regularly. You get out into nature very regularly, but. Um, it's very easy when you're a data scientist to spend all day looking at a computer. Um, but having him has, has justified going outside, mm. you know, as often as possible, ideally every, every single day of the week. Um, and because of the way that he goes through the world, he stops and sniffs or gets fixated on plants or animals. Um, it just makes you notice these little things. So uh, a few things I'm working on at the minute. I'm going to keep on doing that. I've got a podcast uh, that I'm working on at the minute which is the Salmon Stitch podcast. Uh, and it's all about, uh, it's co-hosted with my dog, which might sound a bit weird, but it's all about how, um, where he came from. So um, how did dogs end up in our houses living with us? How did uh, breeds come about? What is domestication? Um, and, and how can we be better, more responsible, more loving uh, pet owners is, is kind of what it's about. So it's going to be a limited kind of series that I'm working on at the minute. And then I've got a few, a few TV projects uh, at the minute, which I'm, yeah, you know, in, in fairly early days developing, but we will see what happens on that front. That's so exciting. And I can't wait to see Stitch doing a podcast. I've never heard of a dog hosting a podcast. I mean, I think you're making some podcasting history, Sam. <laughs> That's the hope. <laughs> I love that. I'm so excited to see what comes next. And of awesome. course, hopefully we'll be back with you at Get Set Galactic not too far in the future. Keep, keep everything crossed. Yeah, <laughs> you that your day. Get everyone to go serving in the days. But uh, it's been so great chatting with you today and get to know a bit more about your journey into science and why you do what you do and, of course, how you got into TV presenting too. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining me, Sam, today. Thank you. I know it was Absolute super busy today. So thanks for fitting it in. Yeah, thank you. And I'll see you soon. See you later. Bye for now. Thanks, Sam.